Hi, welcome to Cult Hackers. My name is Stephen. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, no Celine today, she's away, but I'm very, very happy to welcome Sue Winter. Uh, Sue has quite an experience around the cult world, if you like. She's experienced a couple of uh, experiences around cults, so she's going to tell us a bit about those things today. And she's one of those really smart people that um, I love talking to. So, Sue, welcome to the show. Thank you, Steve. You flatter me. That's uh, That started my day well. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, we had a, a bit of a chat. So we are, yeah. I often, um, before we have a guest on the show, we often just have a quick sort of, we'll catch up for, yeah. for 10, 20 minutes to see whether, you know, it's right for, for you and us. And um, and mm. the, the conversation just kind of went on for ages and it could have yeah. carried on, I thought. It was just so interesting yeah. to talk to you. So, yeah, it's one of those that, I don't worry about having to think of things to say uh, because I think it's going to be a really interesting discussion. Uh, so, so um, we've sort of met each other a little bit around various different places. The ICSA mm. conference, the International Cultic Studies Association conference, I think mm -hmm. was the time when we actually made contact. Mm. Um, and I've seen you, I think, at the FST, uh, yeah. Trust. So we've sort of crossed paths. And um, do you, so do you want to tell us, tell our listeners um your experience um you don't need to go into loads of detail you can if you want but uh, why are you interested in this topic i suppose is the question uh well basically um because i'm not a youngster i'm 67 years old um and i oh. call myself <laughs> a flatterer <laughs> i call i call myself um a cult hopper Okay, so with um, uh, study, really, um, so I just thought I'd been in one cult, which was a religious cult, and that kind of fitted my idea of what cults were. I didn't know it was a cult before I went into it, and really I didn't know it was a cult until I got out of it. Yeah. But as I started to sort of um, uh, dive down uh, uh, rabbit hole but uh, in a sense an incredibly uh, revealing rabbit hole mm. I discovered actually that I've had multiple cult experiences or cultic experiences um, and as I was beginning to sort of look at the Family Survival Trust and ICSA and read around I noticed that the definitions of what cults were were sort of put into silos you know, that you're either first generation, second generation mm. or multiple generation. Interesting. But my my experience isn't like that. Um, it's 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 different um, in that the first two cultic experiences that I had were one on one. OK, so that was um, so they're interpersonal. OK, mm. so one was uh, with my mother. The other was with my um, ex-husband. Then I went into, and they kind of overlapped, um, but obviously with my mother, I was, in a sense, born in to a cult-like mm -hmm. relationship, which is quite interesting. Um, and then um, uh, an abusive relationship, domestic uh, uh, abuse, um, intimate partner violence, in fact, it's called now, mm -hmm. then into religious cult, and then into a commercial corporate environment that used cultic tactics and i i feel passionate about talking about this now because mm. it just shows you how this thing is moving and developing as people have more understanding of, of how it works 
Yeah, that's really interesting. And and mm. with those different experiences, mm. um, I'm sure mm. and I'm hoping you can give us some insight into those similarities between those yeah. groups and the tactics they use. Um, maybe um, can we talk maybe about your religious group first? Um, yeah, because in a way, that's the that's the one that awakened you to this phenomena after you mm. left that. Um, that's when mm. you started to think about this thing called mm. cults and um, yeah analyze what was happening so maybe you could tell us a little bit about that experience what they were like um and sure. uh, what what your experience with them was yeah that's really well spotted actually Stephen because um it was because I was listening to a radio five interview um with that the, there was is a show I can't remember what it's called now but it's done by Nicky Campbell and he mm. was interviewing a chap called Richard Turner um who was talking about an experience of being in a religious cult. Um, and that's the first time I thought, oh, my goodness, somebody's talking about what I went through. Right. So that's a good place to start um, because it kind of opened up the door. So it was um, a five-fold ministry. So in other okay. words, within the ministry, it had an apostle, prophet, um, pastor, evangelist, and apostle, prophet, pastor, evangelist, and teacher. Okay, fivefold ministry, but it was charismatic, Pentecostal, okay, um, heavily into healing and deliverance, okay, mainly around generational sin, okay, that wow. was their, their big thing. But, and here's where it became quite specialized, is generational sin that was um, centered on Maso Freemasonry and the Masonic curses in people's lives. Wow. Okay. Mm. That's a first. Wow. So this is something I don't know anything about. I'm, I'm fascinated yeah. by that. Okay. So first of all, generational sin. Do you want to tell us what that is, please? So. Well, it goes back to the biblical verse, which the sins of the, the fathers will reach the third and fourth generation. But of course, yeah. that is so open to interpretation. So um, the idea being that anything that's happened in your life, which is um, wrong, is demonic first of all which is classic isn't it in yeah. some cultic yeah. set settings yeah. um um but that these um uh i don't know the, the the impact of how your ancestors had lived their lives continues on into your life unless it is it is broken this is their, right. their expression but if you look at it commercially that was just an amazing thing because it was never ending so you think of all the people going to their meetings with this hundreds of people behind them but um yeah so when you say um obviously that as you're right that that idea is open to interpretation um mm -hmm. we might say that what happened um or our descendants decisions is going to have an effect you know that why do i live yeah. in this particular part of the country it's because of decisions mm -hmm. that were made by my mm -hmm. parents and then grandparents and so on so that mm -hmm. that so in that sort of that's true yeah passive mm -hmm. sense that is of course true but i guess this is a more religious thing so this is about um sins that your grandparents great-grandparents and so on may have committed being um, just upon but, you but, is that yeah that's it visited upon you but around yeah. freemasonry because okay. yeah so um freemasons i don't know if you've ever ever studied 
studied Freemasons. I mean, in in, in a sense, it's on topic, because if you think of the whole conspiracy theory and the New World Order and, uh, you know, and uh, I mean, they really went into all of that and how uh, Washington, D.C. is the capital of the the U.S. is is based on Masonic uh, symbology and you can see Masonic symbology all, all over the world. So and that there were... 13 Freemasons who signed the Declaration of Independence mm-hmm. and that the United States was built on um, a, a Masonic premise, if you like. Um, but Freemasons, when they, there's basically two arms. There's the, um, the York Masons and there's the, the Scottish uh, Masons. But they, they move up. They, they go, go up through degrees. Um, mm-hmm. So you, you, you might, you'd have a Master Mason <clears throat> who's a, a third degree, but they go all the way up to the 33rd degree, which is pretty secretive. So apparently a lot of U.S. presidents are 33 degree Freemasons um, and it's like a secret cabal, you know, so you can see the whole conspiracy thing about it. Mm. But there's a lot of lower level Freemasons and they have to go through these strange induction processes and ceremonies and speak out promises. Okay, Um, I mean, I used to know a lot about it, but um, I've kind of parked it a bit <laughs> but, but i mean the, the, the sort of thing is is like if your firstborn son okay doesn't join the, the the masonic brotherhood um then a curse is put on him okay so they have this whole idea about the death of the firstborn son um and um as soon as i heard that i thought oh my goodness i apply that to my family because um my Looking at my dad's side of the family, his dad died young. Um, and then my grandfather's father, my great grandfather, he died young. <clears throat> my dad was young when he died. My brother was young when he died. So you've got all that. that but okay. you think, oh, perhaps there's something in that. You know, it's making quantum, quantum leaps. Yeah. Um, and the idea is that what, what they did is that they would, they would, it's, it was heavy healing and deliverance. They'd really go for it. You know, they'd push you and scream at the demons and deliver you of these curses and break them. But then, of course, conveniently, another one would come up. So, you know, you'd have to deal with that yeah. and pay more money. Yeah. Okay. So so there was basically it was um, we can help you with this, but you need to support us financially in order yeah. to do that. Buy our, buy our prayer manuals and pray it off. Yeah. Wow, which okay. were extremely expensive and mm. um be, being one of my roles i've had is is teaching literacy I, they, they were full of spelling mistakes and punctuation oh, right. <laughs> so no yeah so were they um essentially were they pro the freemason worldview then is that is that basically no no were, suppose they're, they're anti they, they anti, were just like yeah. yeah they were buying into the whole conspiracy thing right, theory okay. thing but putting their own own angle on they okay. they're based in australia um okay. so what what do you want me to tell you how I got involved with them first of yeah, all? How if I first heard about them. Yeah, so um, because of the abuse that I'd experienced um, as a child, and then my my marriage was an abusive marriage and increasingly getting abusive, because when you're in an abusive marriage, they start off quite sort of subtly, but then it gets more and more obvious. Um, so really, I... Um, it impacted on me physically and this is this is a known fact you know that when you experience extreme trauma as i had done um it it does impact your body and i had something called me chronic fatigue Mm -hmm. syndrome and i was quite ill from it with it for about just over four years almost five years um and um 
it's a horrible thing because you can't see it. You know, it's an illness you can't see. And one day you can be fine. And then the next day your energy levels drop. So I was pretty much sort of um, housebound for, for, for a number of years. And I was desperate, you know, because I'd been quite a sort of busy, I was a professional. professional. Uh, and then somebody said to me, oh, this ministry is coming to town because I've been sort of dabbling with exploring faith. You know, I'd been through the sort of denominational Anglican Methodist um, uh, Baptist, but they weren't hitting it in terms of really it was trauma for me from from my from my childhood and, and um so they said oh this australian uh, ministry is coming to town um perhaps you should go and i went and they prayed for me and it went yeah it's quite interesting so there's a, there's probably psychology around that why why it went um um but uh, and then i was i was healed so i was hooked Mm. And I, they, they would come to this country once a year for what they call a training school. And I would go out to Australia every year to their training school in Melbourne. Right. Okay. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I mean, there's something called return to the mean, which I think is, mm. is the, um, um, the explanation mm. for a lot of these things. If mm. you've got a condition like that, there, there'll be mm. times when, you know, mm. it'll get better um, on its mm. own. And um, of course, if you, if you, uh, out of a thousand times, there's going to be a, a certain number of people who will experience that at the time when you've just had this healing ceremony or whatever, and, and it's it's a very powerful feeling. Oh um, yeah, and I was able to gradually yeah. go back back to work, you know. Mm. So it was, um, and of course they 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 loved bomb me, as we know that expression. Mm. Um, yeah. But actually, I've heard somebody else, a lady called Kate Amber, use an expression which is manipulative kindness. Because that's what it is, and I think that gives a little bit more depth mm. to, to to what happens. Um, so they did all the classic things in terms of drawing me in. Um, again, she, Kate again has, has, has described it as like um, psychosocial quicksand. It looks good on the outside, mm. and you're inquisitive. You know the typical things, and you mm. you go in, and then you get sucked right in, and and then that's when they start using the, the coercion. And, you know, your relationship, all these amazing expressions that I know now and understand, like, you know, a, a dis disorganized attachment you have with the leader. You don't know where you are because one minute they're kind to you, another minute they're not. But because you're in and you're invested in it, you go to them. Mm -hmm. And then that just causes absolute chaos, doesn't it? And you uh, then you can't get out because you're you're in psychologically. Yeah. So were you... Um... So I don't know much about this group. Is it um, is it a large group or is it? Did you know the leader? Um, no, it was group, very so... it's very it's very niche. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean it's because um, because it, of course we we both know about the guys that um, I was a, a teenage um, fundamentalist uh, oh, yeah. Pod, yeah. podcast yeah, yeah. and some of the, I think one of them is it Troy? I can't remember. Anyway, he's he's based in in, in Melbourne and he they he said oh yes. I know that place. I've always thought it was a bit weird as I drove past yeah. it. So, so there are actually people on that podcast who know about it. Um, right. which, which, so that's how I got involved with that that podcast as a, a kind of a, a podcast, and also the Facebook uh, page as a as a support mechanism, really, right. because they were people who who knew about it. Um, so, yeah, very niche. Um, but so you knew the leader. You had a you had a sort of familiarity with the leader, or, or no, was I didn't not know a it. leader. There was there was a leader, a woman, okay. a woman, which is oh, which okay. is un, which is unusual. Yeah. Uh, so she so because you have fivefold ministry. So normally in a fivefold ministry within a church or a ministry or group, there's different people having each of those mm -hmm. roles. Mm 
Yeah. But she she was all of them apart from the pastor who was her husband. Ah, okay. <laughs> Keeping yes. it in the family. <laughs> Keeping it in the family. Yeah. And they had this amazing they have land uh, just outside of Melbourne, uh, which they purchased, which must be worth a lot of money. And the first time I I went out there, they just had a small property on it. But interestingly, that property got bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm. <laughs> so where was the money going? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So when did you start to have doubts about it and start to think that actually this is not right in some way? Well, I, I guess when you, you 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 get involved in, in a cult, um, again, this shows the sort of reading that I'm beginning to do about, around, around this, is that um, Jilly Jenkinson calls it confluence. So it's like there's two separate rivers and the rivers gradually join. Okay. Um, and you can either be 100% joined with the cult river, or you might be a little bit on the outside. So it's almost like there was part of me. There was a little bit of me on, on the outside, even though I was really enmeshed and entangled in, 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 in the cult. Um, and it's that little bit that I guess is, is the, the way out in a sense but what happened is that a number of things were going on that I just didn't feel comfortable about they the last training school I went to they built this horrible sort of image of, of a, I don't know what it was an angel that looked like a monster and they put it in the front of the uh the building the, the building and it just was just weird some of the stuff that they were doing and I got talking to another woman um who uh, felt the same way and we kept in contact she lived in Australia me in the UK and we kept in contact um, and both realized then that um, what was going on was um, unethical really I mean we didn't have the words to describe it because I only mm. really used the word cult probably about two years ago yeah because um, it takes time to to, mm. to unpack it and also my my marriage was breaking down um, and um my husband issued me with divorce papers um, and in the divorce papers, he said that he was, he was divorcing me for my unreasonable behavior. Um, and he, he cited, didn't the name, but he cited that I'd been, I was involved with, with this, with, with, with the group, but I'm not, I'm not taking, or I haven't taken that on board because that was part of his behavior towards me. Sure. Um, but um, yeah, so you can see there was various things going on. Yeah. Okay, and how was leaving? Was that um, did they try to keep you? Um, what were their sort of tactics around that? Uh, all right, so you're re you're ready for a fun story here. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> so I used to go out once a year to their training schools, but actually it wasn't fun because it was pretty traumatic. But it's it's mm. quite dramatic. Mm. Um, and um, so this friend and I were talking about it, and decided that we were going to leave. Um, and the interesting thing is when, when you decide to leave and you make that decision, all of a sudden you get in contact with other people who've left as well. And it's quite interesting talking yeah. to them and uh, quite a relief, really. So I was in contact with a few people. But anyway, I, I thought that I would go out to, to the ministry in Australia um, and uh, speak to the Apostle Prophet of the house, as they called her. And uh, so this friend of mine organised um, an appointment for herself. But then we organised for me to go as well. So I turned up at the the uh, the ministry office building, and there I was with my friend. And of course, that caused massive panic within within, within the building. And they they put me into a room, 
um, and uh, then separated me from my friend. So when when I came out of the room, my friend was not there. She'd gone. Um, so she'd gone back home, and I was stranded in the in the offices. And then they took me back into another office, and they screamed and yelled at me and told me because one of the things they told me I was an, an apostle prophet, false apostle prophet, that I was destroying their their flock, um, and screamed at me. So that was the the female leader, her husband, and mm. the sister of the female leader. And I thought, well, I'm not having this. So I got up and walked out and started walking down the hill. Um, and then the car came after me and they they asked me to get in the car. Then they they dropped me off at a motel um, well outside of, of Melbourne. With I didn't have any of my things, uh, no clothing and, of course, not my passport. Mm. Um, and I just sat down in the reception of this uh, motel, totally shocked. And um, the, the girl at the reception said, what's going on? I said, well, I've just been in this place up, up the road. Oh, she said, yes, that's known to be a bit strange, I think. I can't right. use the expression. Yes. Um, but, but then then the the apostle prophet evangelist uh, pastor, whatever she was, her sister turned up with my things and, and screamed at me in the reception of the motel. Um, and then I was shell-shocked because I had another six days before my flight home. And uh, then I contacted a friend who I'd made, who'd been in the ministry and left, and she came to pick me up and put me up uh, for six days before I flew home. So that's how I left. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And that must have been quite traumatic. I mean, you know, you you were oh, already... totally. Yeah. Totally. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, somebody said to me afterwards when I came back to the UK as a friend who'd also left, they said, you're either crazy, Sue, or you're, you're, you're extremely, extremely brave. Um, but it was the way that I dealt with it. That that was the way that I dealt with it. Yeah. And then it was a total cutoff. You know, there was no no way back. So in a sense, yeah. that was that was a positive out of it because sometimes you can be drawn back in. Uh, but for me, the door was totally shut. Mm. Yeah. So your then then starts your journey, I suppose, mm. to try to make sense of of all of mm. that and yeah. your time in the group. Um, mm. I, I don't know if you can sort of describe how you you did that. How did you make sense of what just happened to you? I guess it took quite a long time to to, to work. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm still making sense of it. it seems okay. so. It's yeah, because mm. it, it takes it, it it takes time really because because ha where I am now is I can see what happened to me as a child because um, my mother was very abusive towards me. Mm. Um, that's quite a long, long and involved story. Um, she, I had she had something called Munchausen syndrome, uh, which I think is actually called something else now. Um, it's called fictitious disorder. Um, and I was hospitalized a lot as a child and I was abused by a consultant pediatrician um, in a very well-known hospital. Um, and so that was a trauma bond that I developed a, as a child. OK. Um, and what I didn't realize was, was that that was then impacting on the person I you know, the relationship with the, the person I married, not because of me, but because he was probably attracted to to me because of the the, the life experience that I had um, and then into into the cult. So I <clears throat> when my marriage was um, breaking down, um, I it was it's very hard to describe it's just a horrible horrible place to be in um and he was really playing on the fact that i'd been in in, in the cult um but i 
I wasn't able to say it was a cult. I couldn't just mm. describe what was happening to me. Mm. But he he did one of the things that he did <clears throat> is that he organised a um, uh, what is it when they they bring people around to your house an intervention intervention yeah. So he organised an intervention without without me knowing, and various people from from a church I'd been involved in in the UK came round and told me that it was the wrong thing to do and I shouldn't be in this, and they were worried about my marriage and blah 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 blah. And of course that that's called kind of like a whiplash when they do that. That's the worst thing you can do. Um, but then it it's it, um, it's it evolved, um, and he completely stopped talking to me. He was psychologically very very abusive. Um, and um, my mother was very ill with motor neuron disease. Um, he coerced her, and when she died, she left her money to him, and she didn't leave anything to me. And uh, it was because of the, 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 you know, the idea was it's because of me being in the cult, and that, mm. and in fact, a, a, an old family friend said that I destroyed my family. Um, because I'd been involved in, in the cult. And that was about two years ago. I went to stay with some friends in London and we were sitting around having a very social time at dinner time. And all of a sudden she came back with, when are you going to come to face the facts so that you destroyed your family? Oh. Um, yeah, <laughs> which, which was very traumatic. Um, and I'd had, I'd had um, uh, support for domestic abuse um, I'd, I'd had a small procedure at a, a, a local hospital and um, a, a nurse just said to me genuinely, how are you, Sue? Really quite genuinely, caringly. And I broke because when you're living in an abusive marriage and also, of course, the cult was abusive. It wasn't a genuine uh, relationship, genuinely caring. You know, it's, it's far from that. Um, so I was referred through a safeguarding team to a domestic abuse specialist and I received counselling for domestic abuse. Um, but of course, the cult was hovering over the, all of that. And I didn't know that that was all part of the uh, part of the process. I could address the, the, the abuse I'd had as a child from my mother um, and they were able to sort of help me through what was mm -hmm. happening. And I realised my marriage was over etc etc but the cult was still hovering over my head and it wasn't until i listened to this radio interview um on on radio five um that i realized that yeah it was it was it was a cult um and then i was able to reach out and get specialist specialist help yeah wow that's um mm. i mean mm. that's that's kind of heartbreaking so mm. to listen to mm. and um you know, thank you for sharing that because that's a lot of very personal stuff so um yeah you know that that's that's really hard um mm. i suppose what so what i'm but it hearing is, but it's part but it's part of it Stephen. you know it's sure. um and I, and the thing is now that i'm sorry to interrupt sorry you you were just going to ask no, a question it's okay no no it is now that i am opening up and telling this story is um, I'm having a lot of women contacting me and saying, thank you for saying that, Sue, because mm -hmm. it's exactly what I've experienced or, you know, it's very similar to what I experienced. And I've had a lot of personal, people won't speak about it, but I've had a lot of personal messages uh, from, 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 from women. And, you know, it's, um, it's out there really. And going into a cult is, is one way that people try and um, cope with, you, you want acceptance, don't you? And you want uh, to be part of the group. But of course, that's far from what it is. Yeah, yeah, and, and it sounds like these mm. are are kind of patterns that that developed mm. um, very early on. Um, mm. I'm not a, a clinical psychologist, so um, I'm always very careful not to try to mm -hmm. analyze people's experiences because that's not 
my area mm. of expertise. Um, do you want me to tell you how? Can do you want me to tell you my understanding of? Absolutely, of, please do. Yeah, 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 because I have I have tried and I'm continuing to to analyze what happened to me mm. with expert help. Great. I have to say, so I'm getting yeah. I'm getting some expert help from uh, um, therapists who are trained in the in the field of mm. domestic abuse, but also understand um, cults and um, you know the, the impact that cults. So, so basically, um, it's so interesting if you look at a lot of women who have experienced domestic abuse or intimate partner violence do get drawn into cults. Okay, and this is what I'm finding, which mm. is which is quite an interesting. Um, tragic but an interesting area which is why I'm really keen on highlighting it um so when I was a child and I had this relationship with 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 my mother it was a disorganized attachment as we know that Alexandra Stain calls it um and um what happens when there's a disorganized attachment the person who's meant to love you unconditionally um doesn't do that okay so you 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 are fearful of them, but you also love them. Um, and you never know the way that they're going to react to you. Okay. So the, the way that you can co cope with that is by being very agreeable. Okay. And doing what they ask you to do. So I was a good kid. I really was a good kid, you know. So that's almost like it's stamped on your mm. psyche. Okay. So, um, because I was fearful of what would happen to me if um, I disagreed with my mother. And I'll tell you a little bit further down the line, two occasions when I did disagree and it was a massive repercussions. But, so I became the good kid, which I was in school. Um, I, I was very agreeable. I was a people pleaser. I worked very hard. Yeah. And the the other thing is that I would take on board and blame myself if anything went wrong, because that's part of that type of relationship with a narcissist. But it's what you also see in a group cult. So can you see the patterns in, in, in behavior? So I took that with me. It was kind of like it was stamped on my psyche because I didn't have any specialist support that could you know, sort of uh, extract that, as it were, or help me deal with it. So I took that into my marriage, and I took that into the uh, into the cult, into the religious cult. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can support it by becoming a patron. You can support the podcast for just one pound or a dollar fifty, and receive a variety of Patreon benefits as a thank you. Don't forget to share the podcast, follow, like, subscribe, and rate the podcast on the podcast app you're using. A review is particularly helpful as it gets us recognised by new listeners. And finally, if you'd like to reach out to us and tell us about some court hacking you've been involved in, or you just want to say hi, you can do so by going to courthackers.com and using the contact form. We love hearing from our court hackers. Thank you for listening, and now back to the podcast. We, we spoke, we've also spoken to... Um, uh, an expert on on the podcast who experienced domestic abuse herself and is an advocate now for survivors of of domestic abuse um and again the similarities to cult dynamics are, are absolutely clear um the same tactics are used so really we're talking about this abuse of power this setting up of of a, of a this asymmetric power dynamic which means that um mm. they're able to manipulate you and get them to do what what they want you to and you can see it with parental abuse as well yeah so it's the same it's the same thing so Absolutely. so that's 
So that's why I say almost like I'm, I was born into a cult because mm. that was my experience right from a child. I mean, I did go away, you know, at um, 18, I went to university and, and traveled and lived in different places. So I did have that. So it's like that, in, probably that was that little bit of a part of the confluence that was outside of the main river, if you like, that I did mm. have that. But um, but but it was deep. It was very deep because it started right from from birth yeah you, know? I think so you, a, you learn how yeah. to do it don't you so you learn yeah. how to be in a cult um if you yeah. you learn how to do what you're told and um yeah. uh, look for the um yeah. affirmation that that you think is needed and so you learn those behaviors yeah. so it is i guess it is easy to yeah then fall prey to another relationship or another exactly it's quite simple exactly. because it's easy to do it you know you know exactly yeah. how it works yeah um, so i think you're 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 clearly a, a quite an analytical person and you're you're thinking mm. about your experiences and and how that um has mm. shaped uh, your development as a person and then uh, when we spoke um you you said that you had noticed that you then fell into or was attracted to a more commercial situation that, exactly that yeah. that you you now recognize actually had a lot of cultic yeah. elements so do you want to tell us a little bit about that please yeah and this is where um i want to thank you because i was listening to your podcast and because you're an organizational um psychologist uh, a lot of what you were um speaking about mm. that because because i couldn't understand why i was drawn into it i mean there were some things i could um uh, understand because um when you have this stamp on your brain as it were that you're agreeable you're hard working um you blame yourself if anything goes wrong and you're 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 just um, you're just a people pleaser mm. so um certain organizations look for that okay because yeah. they they know that they can get more out of you now i was listening to you speaking um and and i you know some of this vocabulary is just amazing to have so we we talked about this we we talked about the intrinsic and extrinsic um organization within no within within organization so the extrinsic sort of relationship and correct me if i'm using the, the, the wrong the wrong expression is that you have something that you sell to them so that's salary isn't it okay so and you're paid for yeah um, i think, I what, think you're what, describing what, what i talked about as transactional um oh uh, yes yeah, that's it yeah, yeah that's right yeah yeah, yeah transaction yeah thank you yeah that, so that's the transactional um mm. relationship okay but then there's a transformative relationship yeah. which is um intrinsic so it's more um to do with you um i think you've used positive motivators and you want to grow you want to do something that you like and but the thing with the, the this walking company that i was involved with is i was a volunteer okay so there wasn't the transactional relationship okay at all um so it was this this whole the motivators were intrinsic you know they 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 were um, all about how I felt about myself, really, and whether they were giving that to me. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. just to yeah. Um, yeah. give our yeah. listeners a bit of more context. Mm. So, mm. this is a this is an organisation that organises walking mm. holidays, mm. Um, and they want they wanted people to mm. help with these tours, these walking holidays in the in the countryside and so on. Yeah. Um, and that was that was a volunteer role that that you were attracted yeah. to. That's um, right, yeah. And so that that's just the setting, yeah. So okay, yeah. Um, 
Yeah. So um, they, they've been uh, in operation for well over 100 years and they have Christian roots. Um, and it was originally um, that people would volunteer to be walk leaders and they'd also actually cook and do the washing up and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it's evolved into sort of a, a massive organisation um, and they still look for volunteers to lead all the walks, not only in this country, but also um, in Europe and worldwide. And um, the volunteers work very, very hard, okay, and they don't get paid for it, okay. Why is it a volunteer goes into that? And why does a commercial walking company um, allow that to happen? Uh, which is very interesting. So that's where the the cult-like tactics come, Mm. come into play. So why did I get drawn into that? Um, you know, and, and were they looking for me? And yes, they were looking for me because I was hardworking, agreeable, um, and um, would would pretty much work my socks off. So, working in the UK, they have um, about fifteen or sixteen country house hotels, um, and as a walk leader, you're expected right from seven o'clock in the morning. You go down to breakfast, and you're with the guests. You're talking to them. You'll lead them on walks, hikes um, all day long. You'll come back. You might have a short break. Then you have dinner, again, you're socialising, and then you have to put on evening activities for the guests. So it's a, a very, very long, mm. long day without any payment. And then there's this whole, another angle of looking at it is, is something that they call the rule of reciprocity. Okay, so so in other words, let's look at the reciprocity here. But what, what they do is they say they give you something. Okay, so they are giving you, me something. So therefore, I'm quite happy to give something to them mm. for free um so 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 what they say also we're giving you a holiday or we're giving you you know you're doing something you like you like hiking you like meeting people you like um you like traveling um and so i was i was drawn into that hook line and sinker because um but then then as i moved further in and had more experience because i'm a modern language linguist so i speak several languages and lived abroad for a number of years is they they used my language skills and i started leading abroad now when you're leading abroad the work is even harder because you're you're flying out with guests, you're dealing with flights, you're dealing with transport, you're dealing with hotels, local guides, as well as leading holiday uh, hikes, and then in the evening putting on evening activities. So, I mean, if I think about it now, it's slave labour for nothing, absolutely nothing. Yeah, and I was agreeable, and I thought that's fine, but I don't now. <laughs> and and I, I guess you 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 you, uh, you see this as again part of this this old behaviour this this kind of mm. habit if you like that um, that you end up falling into because yeah. um, the same sort of tactics are being used. Yeah, but but the if, if I think of the responsibilities that I had, mm. you know, when when particularly when I was I was um, I was le- leading abroad. Um, because when you you lead abroad, sometimes you get yourself you, you can find yourself in situations that you might not find in the UK. Mm-hmm. So um, his his well some examples. For example, uh, leading in France last year, we had a guest who was taken ill. Uh, we had to call an ambulance, um, and the guy was collapsed. So um, my, my co-leader because uh, I had a co-leader with me is a French speaker as well. But we're having to translate simultaneously. Uh, between the, the guest who was unwell and his wife and the, the paramedics, um, so that that's that's a, a massive mm-hmm. skill. I mean, speaking a language to that level 
and has taken me years and years and years of study and, and, and experience of living in living countries, you know. So there's that. Um, I used to lead city breaks to Barcelona, okay? Um, so they were attracted to the fact that I speak Spanish because I lived in Spain for a number of years. I also speak Catalan because I lived in a Catalan-speaking part of, of, of Spain. And a, a few things around that. One was um, there's a beautiful place in Barcelona called the Sagrada Familia, which is a Gaudi um, basilica. And I took a group into the basilica with a um, a voucher that said I was taking a group in. And once I got in, I, I was hauled out by the security people lined up against a wall with the guests and say you can't go in there because you're not a qualified Spanish leader because they have like blue badge leaders so I was put into that situation so in fact what I was doing was illegal I shouldn't have been guiding people around um, and people paying a lot of money to, to to be in Barcelona then another situation was, I don't know if you know, that there was a whole independence vote in Catalonia. They wanted mm-hmm. to become independent of Spain. So I was in Barcelona when there were all these protest marches going on. And, and I lived in Spain for nine years altogether. And I had lived in Madrid um, when there was a military coup, because I know how the Spanish then react when there's marches going on and, and, and uh, there's a political um, debate. That's probably the wrong word. So there were all these helicopters, there were marches, and I got to know um, some of the restaurants in the area, and they said, Suzanne, as they called me, you need to get out of the city because there's mm-hmm. going to be marches. So I contacted the company and said this was happening, and they just said, oh, there's nothing on the news here. They just... <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I said, well, I'm you know, I've, I'm here, and there's <laughs> helicopters and mm. there's marches. Oh, and then um, I was insistent and they finally said, OK, we'll get you out. And they had to organise something the next day to get the group out of uh, out of the city. And um, and it did turn pretty violent. I mean, I don't know if you saw some of it on, on the news. I mean, you're right in the centre of Barcelona. So it was almost like um, they didn't really care about the leader on the ground and, and, and what was happening, you know, and yeah, uh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, even from an ethical perspective, just just a simple mm. ethics question around mm. um, people being asked to and encouraged mm. to volunteer um, mm. for roles that are such um, have such heavy responsibility with them and a lot of work involved. Yeah. Um, and it's not a charity, is it? So these things are they're making money out of these. Uh, yeah. Tours. Um, I mean, even mm. we've spoken about charities at times and mm. sometimes in within charity situations, you can find yourself. Mm um getting more involved than you expected mm. to and the pressure then to remain yeah. doing what you're doing there can be some mm. some of that is sometimes applied i think unfairly as well um yeah. so yeah these are these are cultic tendencies um that mm. can mm. happen in organizations i've been really interested in exploring some of those um mm. so it's not like i'm trying to point at every organization and saying mm. cult but uh, mm. where we spot cultic behaviors and cultic mm. 
happens, I think is is really important to to be aware of that. And the more mm. that as organisations try to mm. businesses in particular mm. try to create these transformational type of environments where exactly love going there because it's a yeah. great place to work and you know all your friends mm. are here and hey why don't we why don't you come to the, mm. the you know the the bar mm. that we've opened up mm. and, and there's a crash here for your kids and there's mm. the laundry that we'll organise for you. This starts to feel more and more inclusive and um and or exclusive i suppose um yeah. and it and it's i think that there are worries and dangers around some of that and it's something that i'm particularly interested in in the, in the and exactly and when you started talking about it on one of your podcasts i said well that's exactly what yeah what 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 was happening um the, the the worry is is that there's a lot of senior people you know who get involved in volunteer roles and um they will sort of say well it's okay i can do this for for free because i'm retired and i'm getting get, getting a pension in fact i've had a lot of people say that to me about the the walking company but then my reply has been but effectively you're taking jobs from other people who need the money okay um so so it's unethical as as well um, yeah and, yeah I think uh, that, that's uh, that's true. Um, but mm-hmm. just because you've um, retired from mm-hmm. your job that you've done for the last um, 30, 40, 50 years yeah. um, doesn't mean, that, OK, I can now be exploited. Um, and, and it's yeah. something that you pointed out, which I think is, is worth just um, highlighting mm-hmm. here, that mm-hmm. um, often we think about cults as attracting younger people so mm, um, mm. they hang around at universities and um, it's mm. it's the younger people they try to target often for mm. recruitment but there is this other demographic the, yeah. the retired that there's also kind of risks associated with that and you've sort of touched huge on that and that that is that is something that I'm I'm again I'm quite passionate about mm. um, um, and I'm going on to study coercive control um in, in in september i'm doing the um, msc um at salford university yeah so so that's one of the things i'm really quite interested in because i can see that seniors um are being coerced mm. yeah. and be- because they've been brought up um at a time when we didn't really know what cults were or if we did as i think alexander stain said we thought they were in california and people wearing long robes and you know they, they were hippies and it was like oh well, that would never happen to me so they don't realize that they're being drawn into these into these situations so it's not just this this hiking company which is which, i mean that the hiking company absurd because it's you know there's people paying lots of money to go on these holidays you know you might think it's slightly different if you you are volunteering for um a shelter or mm. you know a food bank or something like that mm. um but um but people are being drawn into 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 roles and working long hours and of course there's no labor law around that is there so effectively you can be working 24 hours a day you know so, yeah uh, absolutely and um of course a mm, lot of these things mm. intersect with um religious uh, groups as well so yeah. a lot of um a lot of religious groups will have a commercial arm um mm. where they they make money mm. so they they use mm. some of the labor that that they have um mm. because they are a church um ostensibly mm. but they'll use that labor then to work in the factory or or mm. in, um on the land or whatever it is mm. they're, they're producing so a lot of the, there's a lot of crossover with these things and, and, and psychologically so damaging mm. because of what they they do for the to the people who i mean i i, I do have one particular friend i'm thinking about who was volunteering for a uh, an animal um uh, charity 
and I came across her one day and she was just in floods of tears because of the way that she was being being treated it's almost like you know because you're a volunteer that you can be be stepped on and, and your feelings and your needs are not, are not being met which is what happened with the the, the the hiking company as well I mean it was it, I was put into some very difficult situations which I shouldn't have been put into um and uh you know, wasn't being paid for it. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think it's really important, actually. It's probably mm-hmm. an area that we need to do more research on from an organisational mm-hmm. uh, perspective mm-hmm. is how how we work with volunteers um, yeah. in the charity sector, let's say, yeah. um, because um, they're not they're not employees in the true sense mm-hmm. of the word. As you say, therefore, mm-hmm. they're not necessarily covered by all the mm-hmm. Uh, employee legislation mm. if they're religious in nature then that often means they they can essentially be exempt from some of the i know uh, the legislation you know so you can mm. discriminate against uh, mm. people for all sorts of reasons where you wouldn't in a normal mm. workplace um mm. and so what, what you're looking for i guess is is more um mm. professional approach but on the other hand because it's not a a transactional financial arrangement let's say mm-hmm. then so i think there's there's quite a lot of um areas of of that needs to be thought about how how do mm-hmm. we ethically work with mm-hmm. uh with people who are giving of their time mm-hmm. um and at what point do we you know is it actually exploitation um yeah so yeah it's, it's a very interesting question, especially when you're dealing with things that are very emotional so you know animals um mm-hmm. homelessness um mm-hmm. even domestic abuse and so on a lot of these things mm. are there's a lot of work by volunteers in these situations and they mm. be, they come to it takes mm. quite a toll on their own mentality because of course uh, it does deal with it all yes it is you know and uh but then coming back to this company that i was working for or volunteering for um it was commercial people being yeah. paid, paid for it and they were wealthy yeah. people and yeah. they actually i had some come up to me say, so i cannot i cannot even begin to, why are you not being paid you know, one a woman came up to me. She said, "I just feel really sorry for you, Sue," which was quite that was kind of like ping when she said that. And uh, and and another said, "I'm paying a lot of money, so I expect to pay for for, for leaders." And then you know, because looking at it in the sort of through the COVID time as well, um, is they survived because they haven't got that cost of having to pay, you know, for for, for leaders, etc. Um, and um, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm sure. I'm sure these organisations would um, justify mm. this business model in some way, but I find that very difficult to justify. If you're yeah. a, a commercial organisation, you're using somebody's labour. Um, mm. uh, it feels that feels completely wrong to me. Um, and we're it not does. talking about small commitments; we're talking about big commitments. No, ma- massive commitments. And and you know, during during COVID, um, I was what they call one of the three million. Um, um, excluded i didn't get any financial support from from right. from the government right. because my work pattern was some of it was self-employed and some of it was doing freelance work and i didn't fit either category really mm. and because a lot of my time was also spent volunteering for the hiking company so i had big gaps and um uh, mm. be- because there was something called the 50-50 rule. So I didn't get a self-employment grant and I didn't get uh, money from, from right. other organisations. So it was uh, it was horrible, you know. So th- yeah. those are the sort of... Um, and that also began to open my eyes that this is, this is not a good situation, you know. It's, mm. not, um, it's not ethical. Yeah. yeah, so you start to come across other consequences mm. that, that you didn't mm. expect. Um, 
Okay, so so we before we started, um, you were saying how um, you've been kind of very busy um, with culture and enjoying life, and I thought that would be quite a good place to kind of bring our conversation to a close because that mm. is one of the great things about leaving a group or a cult is that you mm. you are you find yourself able to experience the culture around you for perhaps for the first time. So tell us a bit about what what you've been doing. Wow. Yeah, so um, it's, um, I, I've said this before, is that um, Jilly Jenkinson's got a really good book, uh, which is a self um, walking free from the trauma of coercive cultic and spiritual abuse, which I, I have here, but you can't see because, but anyway, she, sa- she says in it, which is brilliant, is it is so good, because I, I just love the way that there's lots of metaphors and images in it. And that's really helped me because perhaps I'm a visual learner. So she uses a metaphor of a puzzle. Okay, and you when you're in a cult or a cultic relationship, which I was in as well with an abusive Mm. partner, um, you're in this dark puzzle and you're a piece that doesn't fit. But when you come get out and you get you come into this beautiful puzzle, which is your life and you get yourself and you fit in, you know, and you try all sorts of things. So so what am I doing? I mean, I'm still a keen hiker, so I do go hiking. So this year I walked something called the Dry Stone way or trail in Mallorca, which is from the southwest of the island up to the northeast over the mountains. A hundred kilometers we hiked in eight days, um, 5,500 meters altogether, uh, with a, with another um, ex-leader, uh, by the way, of this, this walking company. Right. And, and we had the most amazing time. You know, met lots of interesting people. And I was doing it for myself, not, not having to lead anyone, yeah. you know, which, which is, was wonderful, yeah. And then I've, I've just dis- rediscovered art. Um, I was in Madrid, because um, I'd lived in Madrid, but I went to see Guernica, Picasso's painting. Um, and I went to, in the Reina Sofia, which is an amazing art gallery, um, and another art gallery of a, an artist called Soroya, which was amazing. Um, I've been to art exhibits at the Royal Academy in London. Um, I've been to several theatre productions in, in London. and. Um, concerts and I go to an adult education classes on uh, various subjects from um, fascism and Franco through to female artists I, I'm just I'm just enjoying mm. and not feeling guilty that you know I'm being fed something from the devil <laughs> you know and do it and doing something that I like the hiking doing mm. it because I want to do it I mean at the end of next week um, I'm hiking from France into Spain over the Freedom Trail that oh, people wow. took in the Second World War, yeah. and I'm doing that because I want to do it for myself. Yeah, mm. Mm. and that's that's a very inspirational mm. Um, mm. place to I think bring our conversation to a close. Um, mm. it, it's it's really important to mm. take advantage of, of mm. the time you have outside when you when you mm. leave these things. And um, yeah, I, we, I think it's an area that I want mm. to cover a bit more. I want to get into a bit more mm. because yeah, the the world outside of these groups. You're always told mm. how terrible the world is yeah. and how scary it is, and um, mm. and so it's uh, when you realise that you know it's actually um of course there's some bad things that happen and you have to be wary but um but there's still a lot of wonderful things to taste when you get out and you know you know what people outside who are not christians you know if you think of the cultic setting being in in, in, because it's not only that i mean it's obviously things Mm. are far kinder 
the people I came across in the cults. Yeah, yeah. and they're often yeah. doing it just because they are. It's their humanity um, yeah. that is that. That's why they're helping, not because. Mm they think there's a God watching or they think mm-hmm. that they've got to make up for some past sin or something. It's yeah. it's just because they're human beings and they want to help. And, and that's, uh, that's gotta be better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I knew I would enjoy this conversation and <laughs> I was right. Um, so thank, you. thank you for joining us and um, <clears throat> yeah, good luck with your continued exploration of culture and walking. <laughs> Ah, yes, and it's going to go deeper. (laughs) Fantastic. Okay, thank Thank you. you. Thank you.